So this is like the, the weird people section here. <laughs> save, save me a seat. It's just like my church, beautiful girls and ugly guys. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, For, am I forgiven? I'm forgiven, okay. Our stories, uh, you know, you pick up, um, all of us have a story. We're all on a journey. And the Bible says um, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and things that are not to confound the things that are. And uh, not many wise, not many noble are called to do ministry, but I uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Our, our stories really don't start with ourselves. It's um, everything that we do is kind of connected. Remember, um, I, I think of Moses and his story. Um, there was a desperate mother. She didn't want her baby to be killed. She was praying for a baby girl because it was a baby boy. Pharaoh would kill her baby. And so stuff was happening in Moses' life before he knew anything about it. And mama's prayers and her, you know, cleverness and building that ark and floating across the river. There was a desperate mother. At the end of that chapter, Exodus chapter 2, there was a desperate nation. A desperate mother, a desperate nation. And in the middle was a destined leader. And I, I think of people who show up to hear the word of God, there's like a destiny. It's bigger than my school and, you know, my outfit and what I'm going to drive. It's bigger. There's just, it's just, God's bigger than just me or you. A desperate mother, a destined nation, a, a, a desperate nation and a, des a destined leader. We are our leaders. Everybody has, 50, every, statistics say, everybody has 50 people who are directly affected by your life. But as you become an ambassador for Christ, how cool is that? An ambassador for Christ, you influence hundreds of people. And Moses, there's a, there's a sense of destiny that came upon him and that, you know, Pharaoh's daughter finds baby Moses and she adopts him and then I need a mother to feed him, gets his own mother. And it's just, and so he's raised on his own mama's knee, on Pharaoh's daughter's knee. And he's got all, he's the prince of Egypt. He's got all that, all the wealth and all the fame and all the fortune and the education and the money and the comforts. And yet he knows he's a Hebrew. He knows he's a Jew. He knows that this miracle of his birth, he has that sense of destiny. And I hope all of, I think God, if, if, as you read the scriptures, especially young people, man, what, what might he have up his sleeve? So I'm going to ignore you old people and just hang out with, you, with the cool people in the class, amen? And uh, what, what he might have up his sleeve for, for you is just incredible. And so my story doesn't begin with the, you know, the hippie guy, you know, smoking dope and, and, and all the terrible things that I did. Long before that, there was an old woman there, Mary Mosier. Uh, she was in a rest home. She was dying. She was 77 years old, 76 years old. She was almost blind from cataracts and uh, deterioration of her eyes from uh, advanced diabetes. And uh, she, she wrote a prayer in an old Schofield study Bible with pencil. And she was elderly and squiggly writing. And I... I, I, I knew nothing about this. At the time, I was um, uh, an eight-year-old boy. No, I was, uh, yeah, I was an eight-year-old boy. Mary Mosier wrote this prayer, 1962. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm old. I did not have you in my heart when I raised my family. I'm old. I'm sick. I have no money. I have no health. I have no wealth. I have nothing to give you. 
She said, but in Jesus' name, I have many grandsons. In Jesus' name, please take one of my grandsons, save him and call him into your ministry. I dedicate him to you. Now, she had lots of grandsons. But the one, one family, her granddaughter, my, my mom, was married to a liquor man. I was raised in the liquor business. So of all the grandsons, I'd be the least likely. I was living in a bad home. My dad was a blatant adulterer. Uh, I was exposed to all kinds of really, really bad stuff when I was a kid through the liquor business and uh, the entertainment world. And I saw these little, little eyes saw really, really, really bad, perverted things as a little boy. And so Grandma was praying. Great-Grandma Mosier is praying, Dear Lord Jesus, please save one of my grandsons and call him into your ministry. I dedicate him to you. That was in 1962, in May, May 1962. And uh, two years later, she died in 1964. I was 10 years old. And then uh, as a little boy, I, I, sports were, was like God at our house. My dad was totally into sports, and that was like God. And and I just wanted to make my dad proud, and I wanted to be a sports guy. And I remember the the, the drug culture had come out, and and I remember the cig- they found out cigarettes were hazardous to your health. My mom and dad both chain smoked, and I grew up in all that. And and we learned that, and you know, and I saw pictures of people with cancer, and they like cut out, you know, they you know they like cut out their larynx, and you know, they had to speak with the the weird thing. That was kind of scary when you're 10 years old, and you know. And then one lady uh, they showed on TV. And little 10-year-old eyes are watching this. You know, they, they like had, to, had cancer of the mouth. They had to cut off her lips. It was like, freaked me out, you know. And I was begging my mom, you know, please stop smoking. I don't want you to get your lips cut off. Because my mom used to kiss us. She'd kiss, my, my mom could kiss, would kiss us goodnight. She could give you 75 kisses in three seconds. And they were wet and sloppy, and they could land almost anywhere above the, above the shoulders. And I'm thinking, if she did that to me with no lips, that would be ugly. <laughs> Too much information, amen? Yes. And I beg them, don't smoke, don't smoke, stop smoking, I'll never smoke, it's hazardous to your health. And then, you know, I'm like 16, I'm a pretty cool guy, I look down, and you know, under, we used to carry our cigarettes in a little sleeve there on your t-shirt, and uh, I smoke camels, no filter, somebody say amen. If you're going to smoke, smoke. Strongest cigarette on the market. You know, don't, don't mess around. If you're going to drink coffee, drink Starbucks. Amen. Extra bowl. You know. I didn't have any resistance. I couldn't say no. And then the drug culture came through. And that really freaked me out. It was just a little kid watching that stuff. Guy did LSD and they showed him in the corner. He was in a fetal position. He, was a, he, he thought he would, had turned into an orange. And if anybody touched him, he would turn into orange juice. And he didn't want to be juiced. And I'm like, I don't want to be orange either. <laughs> I'll never do drugs. I want to be an athlete. Well, reality set in. I, I was on my way. Actually, I was on my way to uh, playing the uh, Major League Baseball. I just had that one problem. <laughs> no talent. <laughs> That's all that stopped me. I was on my way. Reality is a horrible thing sometimes. Amen. <laughs> and so as, I, as reality was setting in, life was kind of... Not working out like I thought. And uh, I remember this guy, uh, we were down, I was uh, 15, uh, no, I was 14, 14 years old, ninth grade. I was 14 years old, and we, we were at the YMCA dance on Friday night, and this guy tried to sell me a joint, and I beat him up. 
I don't do drugs, man. Beat him up. We're not into drugs. Drugs are stupid. That was Friday night. Monday at school, Debbie Mauser, who was two years older than me, I'm 14, she's like 16. She was hot. <laughs> Debbie Mauser comes up to me. Hey, Duke, you want to get high with me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what it meant. But Debbie Mauser said, yeah, I'll do anything. I'll go to the dentist with you. I'll get high with you. I'll go. See, Satan knows what it takes to bring you down. He'll pay your price. And so I had a little boy, you know, I want to do good. I want to be, I want to be in, and I could say no to nothing. And I entered into the drug culture, and my life was a mess. But Mary Mosier wrote a prayer. Amen? See, nobody's story is just like their story. It's all connected to somebody else's story. How many of us here know somebody who prayed for you before you got saved? Raise your hand. So shouldn't that tell us we should pray for people who aren't saved? Amen? And she died two years later and then, eight, then eight, or eight years after she dies, if she's able to look down from heaven, which I think they can, Hebrews 12 seems to indicate we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Grandma looks down, and she sees her grandson, Dookie. That's what they called me, Dookie. I was preaching in a, I was speaking in, a, in an inner city school with an African-American crowd and every time I said the word dookie, they just cracked up. <laughs> and I thought, I'm a pretty good storyteller. <laughs> then the, the, the black teacher told me afterwards, you're going to have to change the boy's name. I'm like, why? She goes, dookie means poop. <laughs> Grandma looks down from heaven and sees little dookie. but he heard her prayer. I'm not going to listen to no preacher. Those preachers just out for your money. They're all hypocrites. I wouldn't listen to no preacher. So God sends a 17-year-old girl. Remember how Debbie kind of messed me up? <laughs> so he sends Jeannie, one of his kids. In summer of 70, well, let me back up. It's 10th grade. I told the story to some of the leaders last night. But um, in uh, 10th grade, we were in Spanish class, and this girl, Jeannie, was a Christian girl, very conservative. She was very pretty, a very, very sweet girl, and uh, I was a, a jerk, capital J. I said to my friend Rick, watch this, I'll make Jeannie cry. He goes, what do you mean? I said, watch, why, I'll make her cry. Yeah, go ahead, man. All right. So I tap her on the shoulder. She leans back, and I whisper a little paragraph of filth, absolute filth, into her pure Christian 15-year-old ears. 
and she was devastated, and she started crying. She was so humiliated, she got up and ran out of the class crying. I thought, hey, man, you know. I persecuted her. I was a bad guy. And uh, so was the Apostle Paul, amen? He killed Christians. We're to pray for the bad guys, aren't we? I've, I've, the Lord has convicted me to pray about political leaders that I don't like more than I complain about them. Matter of fact, he's actually told me to stop complaining. I haven't totally complied on that yet. <laughs> but I do, I do pray for some very, very uh, lost, high, powerful political people. We're commanded to do that, so stop complaining and pray, amen? That's for the, the old people. So... Uh, Jeannie was so humiliated by that, she dropped out of school. Went to a Christian school, and they couldn't really afford it, but she went there just to get away from people like me. All 10th grade and 11th grade. Between summer of, uh, the summer between 11th and 12th grade, uh, she went to this Christian camp in Norwich, Ontario, Canada, Camp of the Woods, uh, BIMI, Baptist International Missions Incorporated, uh, superstar missionary Garland Cofield, man's man, and she... She went and spent the whole summer at the camp as a counselor and a worker, and she came back on fire for Jesus. Felt uh, God had called her to leave the Christian school to come back to the public school. There was a song we used to sing, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. May I humbly do my part to win that soul to thee. She comes back to the public school, and she shows up. Now, that summer, when she was getting on fire for God, I just kind of got wasted. I'd used drugs for a number of years. Now drugs were using me. My life was really spiraling out of control. There was the whole Vietnam thing, which was kind of a bummer, and there was a whole domestic violence thing that had kind of developed in our home. Um, you know, I didn't like fighting my dad, so, he, so to stop him from beating up my mom. And so, that, you know, things weren't too cool. And I got all this going on on the inside, and, uh, you know, I'd be laughing on the outside. It was the life of the party. I was a crazy guy in first grade making the weird fart noises to make everybody laugh. <laughs> I've always been kind of like that. <laughs> and um, I was wrecked. I come, and so she's coming back to school, and her prayer was, Lord, whoever is furthest away from you in this whole school, put them in my path, and may I win them to Christ. Guess who God put in her path? <laughs> Grandma Mosier's wayward grandson. And um, she witnessed to me. She invited me out to church. And uh, I'd just make fun of her. But inside, I could see she had something I did not have. You know, the world tell me, grow your hair long. You want to be cool? Grow your hair long. Okay, so I had the longest hair in the school. Bleach blonde, heard blondes had more fun. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I did. And so the world would tell me, you got to dress like this, man. You got to smoke this. You got to do this. You got to snort this. You got to pot this. You want to be cool? You got to. And they told me how you got to talk, how you got to live. And I obeyed Satan in the world. I obeyed. And, I, and, and, and it's the hypocrisy of all that world. You know, I had a poster in my bedroom. Um, who gave you the power to stand there and tell me what to do? I just live my own life. <laughs> yeah. I remember smoking that first cigarette? What is smoke? Oh, you're, you're not cool. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll smoke. <gasps> <laughs> 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 
How do you like it? Oh, it's nice. Oh, <coughs> I like it. It's good. Yeah. Turns your teeth, turns your teeth yellow. Burns holes all over the seat of your car. Costs a lot of money. Makes your breath stink. You know. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Takes ten years off your life. I love it. It's great. I'm cool. No resistance without Jesus. Here's this girl, and I'm just, just going nuts in the drug culture. When you can make uh, $500 in about two hours, that's $500 in 1971. It's like, what, about $3,000 today? Or you make $2.05 an hour in the restaurant? But along with that comes uh, potential prison time. I was sitting in uh, government class, and um, Mr. Mikowski is coming to visit us in November. An old teacher, he got saved, I got saved, and we're good friends today. And uh, I had, uh, my upline had gotten busted, and many of the downlines, which I'm on that level, were getting busted, and I got tipped off. You know, be cool. And so I was so arrogant, I had a pound and a half of, of, uh, of marijuana on me in my car, in my locker, in my socks, just blatantly, you know, defying. I'm sitting in government class, and the cops come in, three, three cop cars. There's a little, little rural school with a canine unit. I'm like, this is not cool. And I just about had a heart attack. I was so scared. And uh, all of a sudden, the money was uh, not worth it. And uh, like one minute later, there's a knock on the door. Duke Hergut is wanted in the office. It was Jeannie, the Christian girl. In the providence of God, she's sitting in the room when the cops in the canine unit come in. And um, she hears Duke Hergut. She knew I was a dealer. She didn't know about this deal, but she knew my lifestyle. And she didn't want me to go to prison. She wanted me to go to heaven. She'd been praying for me and witnessing to me, inviting me out to church. And now the cops are there looking for him. So she just quietly got up and went. She knew where I was at. Those are the old days where they had to open up a file and you know, look for H and her get and find out where I was at. It took a minute. During that minute, she came straight to the class. Duke Herger's one in the office. Well, Mr. Mikowski was accustomed to that. That was no strange event. <laughs> so she said, the cops are here. And I knew that because I looked out the window and saw him. And so I got out of Dodge. I stopped at my office. As I'm coming, the, there was just this big school, and there was a, they were coming on the lower thing up to my room, and I went on the upper level where they were coming this way. I was going that way. And they knock on the door about a minute later and say, we're looking for Duke Herget. This is the cops, you know. And the teacher said he's on his way down to the office, but I was really on my way out. Went to my locker, got, got all the stuff, ran out to my car, and made a getaway, got off the got rid of the dope, went to Canada for three days to just cool off, and uh, came home, and I quit dealing drugs, because there's a consequence. The money's not worth spending your life in prison. I would have faced a 20-to-40-year um, uh, rap for what I, what I was doing. And uh, this, now it's uh, about February of 1972. I'd been hearing the gospel since September of 71. And there was uh, other events. Uh, tell you one more story. That, that, that I stopped dealing drugs 
that was over. But that just that doesn't make you righteous because you're not a. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm going to heaven. Um, there was a party that I was invited to. Now in our little town, I was the main bad guy. But in Mansfield, it was a bigger town, and it, there, I was just like you know mid mid level bad guy up there. There's some real bad guys, big stuff. So I was invited to the mother of all parties. You show up on Friday night, but before nine o'clock, you were admitted. You couldn't leave until Sunday night at eight o'clock. It was it was two days. 48 hours, bring your own dope, and you're allowed to come, but you're not allowed to leave. I'm at the party, and I walk in, and there was a gal uh, dancing naked on this ottoman. Now, normally, that would have been a real turn-on for an 18-year-old kid, but I was, like, really good friends with this girl's dad, and this was awkward. Put some clothes on, chick. Because I'm like, I'm friends with her dad. He used to get high with us. Thought he was cool. Plus, she was married to this other guy. He's like, I don't want to see this. Ooh, this is, Mama told me not to come. That's a song, Three Dog Night, 1960. <laughs> American history. And so, um, and she wrote my name with liquid shoe polish on the wall. Duke. D O O O O K, dude. And she wrote the time that I came, stick out your tongue, hit a blotter acid on top of the marijuana, on top of the alcohol. Gee, why did they write my name in the time I arrived at the party? I found out soon. There's a reason they call it dope. Dopers are not smart people. And so I'm sitting there, and I had cotton mouth for other reasons from, you know, if, and I, I took the blotter acid because I had stopped doing acid, and I put it in my pocket. They did not know that. So the idea was that one hour after you arrived, the acid is kicking in on top of the marijuana, on top of the alcohol, and then the acid kicks in, and then they take you in to the other room, 100 people, one needle, and they run you up with heroin. This is... This is cool in their world. I sat there and I was like trying to figure out what's up, you know, the music, and there was the bad stuff happening, you know, sexual stuff that was, you know, it was, it was, it, I wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all. And I'm watching all this go down, and um, then they called this girl's name. She was tripping now. She was probably 5'1", probably weighed 90 pounds, probably did a lot of speed. She was a mess, and she was tripping. And she didn't want to run up with anything. She's, I mean, she was wasted on another planet. But she didn't have the option now. There were guys, six or eight guys, with their hands all over her body, and they take her and lay her on the table, hold her down. And their hands were everywhere. And I'm watching this, and I realize, oh, man, 22 minutes, I'm next. One needle, 100 people. And I'm thinking, this ain't cool. And everything in me as a man wanted to try to rescue her. But I was impotent. I was paralyzed by fear. And I didn't do anything to help her because I was a wuss. And I am, I'm tired. 
I'm tired of this whole world thing. The world that told me all these, all these years, you've got to do this to be cool. You've got to do this. And I obeyed, and I obeyed. And now I'm in way over my head. See, it graduates, guys. The devil's a tyrant. The world doesn't care about you. They're out to destroy you. They don't, they don't really think, I want to destroy you. But the whole system will destroy you. And they, you weren't allowed to leave. I'm down to about 15 minutes, and there was a junk food that was um, advertised to, uh, um, it was um, advertised uh, to sell to, to hippies, to, we call ourselves drug head, head, heads, drug heads. Screaming yellow zonkers, anybody hear of them? Screaming yellow zonkers. Well, they were the mother of all party foods. And there were no zonkers at the party. And I rose up. And I, I kind of went on a little bizarre. You had to kind of take, grab attention. I thought this was the mother of all parties. I have looked everywhere, high and low. There are no zonkers. I thought this was a real party. Where, was, where are the zonkers? Who wants zonkers? I want zonkers. Give it up for zonkers. Zonkers, give me a Z. Give me an O. And everybody's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will be the man. Give me your money. I will go on a zonker run. So they'll give me a dollar. I put it in somebody's sock, and I threw the sock back in the room, and I got to leave. And I never went back to another drug party. I was sitting there watching all this. I felt ice water go through my veins. This is not cool. Where'd that ice water come from? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm old, I don't have any money, but I got many grandsons. In Jesus' name, save one of my grandsons and call him into the ministry. Don't ever underestimate the power of your prayers. There's Jeannie. Dear Lord, you've laid Duke on my heart. Speak to him, deliver him. Show yourself mighty. Convict him of his sin. Let him not find his way. I escaped there. I went down, and um, that's the night I quit all drugs except marijuana and alcohol. God was convicting me and drawing me. And uh, I've got several other dramatic stories. I just, I'll just put it this way. I treated Jeannie really bad. I, in school, I told her some stories about her morally that weren't true at all, and it devastated her. I, I said some really bad things about her, and it, wasn't, it was all lies. And it came back to her. She was humiliated, did not come back to school on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday afternoon, her older brother threatened to kill me. I'm glad he didn't. Friday, she came back to school, and I avoided her to the end of the day, and she kind of cornered me. And I... Uh, I was really under conviction. I didn't know what that meant. But I felt really guilty, and she cornered me. And I was expecting her to slap me, to spit on me, to tell me off, give me a little knee action or something. She didn't. She just looked at me, at me with her big brown eyes, and tears came down her face. And she says, Duke, you need to understand something. 
There's nothing you can ever say. There's nothing you can ever do to make me not be your friend. Any of you remember the song by Neil Young, Heart of Gold? I've been to Hollywood, I've been to Redwood, I've crossed the oceans for a heart of gold. I've drank the fine wine, I've had a good time, but keep me searching for a heart of gold. That was my song. And I looked down, and I saw those tears. I kind of saw Jesus, amen? I kind of saw Jesus, and he was beautiful. I said, there's a heart of gold. She has got a heart of gold. I don't have to cross the oceans. Right there it is. And she's real open. It's Jesus. It's not me. I'm a sinner just like you. I'm not any better than you. I just have Jesus. I have power that you don't have. And if you had Christ in your heart, he'd forgive you. And instead of living for yourself, you'd live for others. And, and, and you'd have a great life. And you'd be naturally high. And you wouldn't need to do drugs anymore. And you'd be forgiven. And, and you'd have joy. You wouldn't have to go out and party to be happy. You're just happy in Christ. And, and then you go out instead of hurting people, you go out to help people in church and God and Jesus and love. And he's coming back. And are you ready? And I just saw Jesus. And I was kind of ready. I knew she had a power that I did not have, and I wanted it. If you have Christ, you have power in your generation. You're the coolest people in your generation. You know who you are. You know why you're here. You know what's going on. You know Jesus is coming back. You, they have questions. You have answers. You're like the coolest people on the planet. But if you don't listen to Jesus, you're like the stupidest person on the planet. See, for me, I, didn't even, I just didn't know about him. I knew what I was doing wasn't working. But when he spoke to me, I listened. That's what makes you cool. You don't have to try to be pretty. You are pretty. God made you awesome. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, people don't feel fearfully. People don't feel love they, in the world. You've got to do this to be cool, so you do it. But when you understand who you are in Christ, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, man. I'm awesome. Without Christ, I'm a loser. I know that. I, without Christ, I can do nothing. But I'm not without Christ. He came to live in my heart. He never leaves me or forsakes me. And Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart, and he invited, she invited me to church. And it was so crazy. Before I went to church, I got invited to this Christian prom. Will you go to this Christian prom with me? I'm like, sure. You pay my way, I'll go. Free food? Sure, I'm in. So I went to this Christian prom with her. I didn't have any like, clothes to dress up. I had a ninth grade blazer, blue blazer from ninth grade whose sleeves were up like here. I had a shirt. My dad had a shirt with a collar. I was just a hippie. I just had little t-shirts, man. I only had like three. Wash them. And I gave all my clothes to, uh, to the poor. I just had two jeans and three t-shirts. So I got a shirt with a collar from my dad. My grandfather had been dead since 1969. This is like 72. Grandma saved all his ties. I got a silk necktie with sequins all over it. It was awesome. <laughs> It didn't really match, but who cares? Amen? My wife cares. She doesn't let me dress the way I really like to dress. <laughs> After we got married, all my cool clothes disappeared. So this shirt, this shirt with a collar, stripes, and a sequin necktie, and a short blazer, and a pair of pants. My friend and I, Dennis Dietrich, we had one pair of dress pants between the two of us. We called them our court pants. We was last in court. Had the pants. We always dress up to go to court. So I got the court pants, got the shirt with a collar from my dad, got the necktie from grandpa, got the little blazer. I went to the Christian prom. It's so cool because they, they, they went around and they like introduced themselves. Like I'm, 
And they were, you know, Jeannie said, I'm Jeannie, I'm from Cook Road Baptist Church, I'm graduating from Lucas High School, I'm going to such and such college, I'm going to Baptist Bible College. And everybody's giving their name, where they graduate from high school, what church they go to, and you know, there were Baptist Church, Bible Church, and you know, when I was, in, when I was a little boy, I went to St. John's United Church of Christ. That didn't sound right, you know? So I lied. I'm Duke Kirk, graduated from Lucas High School. Um, I'm, I go to Cook Row Baptist Church. I had never been to Cook Row. I lied. I used to smoke dope in the parking lot at Cook Row Baptist. I really did. So I figured that counts, amen? <laughs> Hadn't been in, but I'd been around the back because you could hide out there. My best friend, Dennis Dietrich, we called him Honest Swap. He wasn't honest and he was Italian. So anyway, uh, he, between my house and us, we went right by Cook Road Baptist. I was by that church a thousand times. So I lied and said, I go to Cook Road Baptist Church. <laughs> the people at Cook Road, we don't know this guy. <laughs> so I figured, that was Friday night, Sunday. I figured, well, you know, make up for my lie, I'll go. And I went to church. Pastor James L. Standridge stood without apology and he opened the Holy Bible and he was on fire. And I thought, dude, he's got a great rap, man. I don't know if I believe everything he said, but he believed everything he said. I have questions. They seem to have answers. These people want to be here. They like it here. You know, for me to go to church and like it? I didn't like church when I was a boy. My mama made me go. If I had to go to the church or to the dentist, I'd probably take the dentist. And now I'm in this church. This guy's on fire. He opens the Bible, the coolest book in the world, amen? And the Spirit of God was drawing me. And I saw him give an invitation. People went up forward and prayed, and I thought, man, a team of horses couldn't drag me up there, man. That's crazy. It used to make me nervous. I had every head bowed and every eye closed. That scared me. What are they going to do? <laughs> I'm not going to close. I'll close one eye. <laughs> Those Baptists were scary. And then people went up front and they got on their knees. I thought, that's weird. I was like, are they going to like, something going to happen? Nothing happened. I thought, boy, I'd never go up there. Four weeks later, I stepped down the aisle. A team of horses couldn't hold me back. Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart, and like my friend Roach said, if God talks to you, man, listen to him. And I got down on my knees, and I uh, asked Jesus to forgive me. I repented. I turned to him, come into my heart and save me. And he did. And old things passed away. All things became new. New song in my heart. New songs, new music, new people, new places. And I became the drug czar at Cook Row Baptist. I thought they would reject me because of my background, but they embraced me. I became the drug czar. Everybody knew somebody on drugs, so I'd go visit those people and try to get them saved and bring them to church. And so God was taking my bad stuff and turning it into something positive. I was out, I was out on the, all, all the... All the druggies were really scared the first year oh no, is he going to become a narc? <laughs> is he going to have us all thrown in jail? The cops used to follow me to church sometimes. They thought it was a diversionary tactic, you know. <laughs> they'd be, I'd come out of church, I'd be waiting. 
I say, God bless you. <laughs> Love you guys. Jesus saves. After a few months, they didn't bother me anymore. I remember I was in the car and with Jeannie, and she said, uh, I said, be cool, there's a cop. Be cool, there's a cop. She goes, so? And I was clean now. I was like, yeah, so? I don't have to worry about cops anymore. They're my friends. Like, love, love those guys. How you doing, sir? Love you, man. <laughs> Total change. So young people, the coolest place in the whole world is, is church. The coolest book in the whole world is the Bible. The coolest people in the whole world are not athletes and not movie stars and TV stars and dancers. And the coolest people in the world are missionaries and preachers and Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, worship leaders, and people who, who sacrifice their time to come and clean the church and serve one another. They're the coolest people on the planet, and the world doesn't think we're cool. But uh, they're stupid, amen? <laughs> and Jesus is the only one that really gets to say who is cool anyway. I have a sermon I like to preach to you sometime called There's None Cool, No, Not One. <laughs> it's, it's a little funny. Guaranteed to make fun of everybody in that sermon. I'm an equal opportunity abuser. <laughs> so, out of the ashes out of the ashes of my life, out of the ashes of the drug culture, out of a liquor man's home with immorality and ungodliness and domestic violence in the Vietnam era. The hand of Jesus comes down through a 76-year-old dying great-grandmother and through a 17-year-old girl from a youth department comes into the pagan schools, gets treated like, almost said crap. So stop, just in time. And um, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he called me to preach. I went away to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I did one year at Ohio State University studying um, uh, retail management, and then I went to Baptist Bible College, grad 74 to 78. God called me to, and I married a beautiful girl. I married way up. There's hope, guys. Beautiful girls marry ugly guys. Amen. <laughs> and uh, he called us to go to Albany, New York, uh, suburbs, and uh, we wanted to start a church. It would start churches. And fast forward. <laughs> 36 years. Our church today runs about 600 people. I've trained, uh, we have a young man that I mentored is now the lead pastor. I'm his associate. And uh, we've been able to birth seven other churches in the Albany area. So there's eight of us, eight churches. And there's 3,000 people that go to those eight churches. And so we're very blessed. We've seen God do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power which worketh in us. And God has taken the, the bad stuff where I've been, I mean, I preach at the Saratoga County Jail almost every Sunday night, captive audience. <laughs> I preach on city missions. I do a lot of youth camps and um, youth rallies around the world. I've preached and I do a lot of youth camps in South America. They like crazy people down there. All the Latinos say, I'm it. 
and uh, they, they, they're not so smart, they, they like me. And, uh, and it's, it's a joy. It's, but I really reach out to you, this crowd today. What might God have up his sleeve? Don't miss it. Don't let the world uh, trick you. Don't let the devil suck you into some stupid stuff. Uh, Jesus is way cool, amen? Let's pray. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. About the church, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sure will. You know, there's there's life. There's you know, this is not a baby church. This is a, a really, it's a rebirth church. This church has a long history, and it was ups and downs, and now you're on a real high, you know. And it, you know, culturally, everything changes. It's just not the same world that uh, that we started doing our ministry in in the uh, in the late '70s. Everything has changed. Um, and everything that God does, he does by faith. That's how he works. He puts stuff in front of us that's bigger than us, always. And there's always that next big challenge. How are we going to do that? That's how he works. And then um, he, he gives the angst, he gives that desire and that passion before there's even a clue. You know, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to make a great mighty nation. <laughs> yeah, we don't even have a kid, now we're going to have a nation. And that's how God works. He, does, he sets things up in a way that when it happens, everybody will know it was him. It was completely him. That way we can't take credit for anything. And so that's kind of where you're at. But that's where you were at five years ago. Amen? If it's not the parking lot, it's something else. So that's, that's life. And so we have to get our eyes off the parking lot and just eyes on him. And then be really close to him like I preached last hour. Because he's already got it figured out. But see, those are the tests for a church. What are you going to do now? You don't have $100,000. You need $100,000. What are you going to do now? Oh, I thought God was really big. Oh, it's never going to happen. No, it's going to happen. Oh, well, that's where you're being tested. That's always the way it works. So you just trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. You take the next step. And you take the next, and you take the next. And then all of a sudden, you look back. If I come back in two years, it'll be a beautiful, nice parking lot. It's all there. And then, then you all come and tell me the God story, what God did. Amen? That's the way it works. That's the way he rolls. The just shall live by faith. From faith, the Bible says, unto faith. And I look back on our story when we started our church against all odds. No money, no support. We just came and just... And then you fast forward 36 years, we have a beautiful campus, 17 acres, all the buildings are paid for, missionaries all over the world, seven baby churches. We're, my wife and I are doing well, com- comfortable. She works well, it makes a lot of money. I don't mind spending her money. Amen. <laughs> we bought a Catholic school two months ago. How cool is that? I never had one before. And we're going to renovate it into uh, 14 luxury apartments. So we really got, some, it's really neat. It's an adventure. On top of being a preacher and doing youth camps and city missions and jails and, and conferences and you know, big churches, you know, God's opened a lot of doors. I'm going to get to speak at Liberty University Convocation in February. 12,500 people. I'm jacked about that. How cool is that? I'm that guy that was over there. Liberty. Oh, what happened, man? Dude, God, you're awesome. So, 
God likes to take the impossible and put you right in the face of it. Make you sweat a little bit. Make you a little nervous. And then, a lot of times we kind of, you know, Sarah and uh, Abraham kind of messed up a little bit on that child thing. I got this little Egyptian handmaid, Hagar. That didn't work so well. But God's faithful. He'll do it. He'll do it his way and his time against all odds. And when it happens, you'll know it's him. And uh, he'll get all the glory. Amen? But when he gets all the glory, we get all the blessing. Is that, is that it, preacher? Let's pray. God, thank you for this awesome church. I wish I could join it and live here and just celebrate you with these people in this neck of the woods. But um, you've called me to Albany. And thank you for the opportunity to spread the gospel around. Thank you for these guys that cross the Northeast who've chosen not to be in the Bible Belt. But we come up where it's maybe a little rougher. And uh, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for the sweet spirit in this place. And Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I, I, I do know what you're going to do. But I just don't know when you're going to do it or how you're going to do it. You're going you're gonna to get her done. You always do. And so we lean hard on you. Thank you for these young people. I just want to dedicate them to you. Thank you for their parents. And probably some of them have parents that aren't, don't even know you. But I pray these kids will have their eyes on Jesus and be the coolest people in this area as they just become your servants, your ambassadors. Protect them from the evil one and help uh, all us old people to set a good example for them, to love them unconditionally, not judge them because their generation is not quite as cool as ours was. <laughs> we love you, Lord. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for this church. Bless this preacher, his family, these leaders. Lord, um, I think you're smiling on this place. 